It's good to be here to worship with you, and I hope that uh, this morning the message can be an encouragement that we can be faithful. Joe kind of stole my thunder this morning in Sunday school class, but not everybody heard it, so... The Sunday school lesson was on the end times, perilous times, and tough times that we face. And Joe's question was, what is a tough thing that you have had to face in life? So that's my question. (laughs) It was exactly my question. How he did that, I don't know. Joe and I did not talk about this this morning or this week. But I'm just kind of curious. Have you had tough time or faced something in your life that has been hard for you to get through? Anybody? Some of the guys shared some in Sunday school class. Y'all can if you want to. Uh, but maybe somebody else has something. I'll share another one that I've had in my life. And that was when my sister had an accident and she mm-hmm. got killed. And that was one of the toughest times of my life. Over that time. Um, just, but it was a blessing just to be able to cry out to God and to just know that God is there to help. Mm-hmm. Someone else. I said three different cuts down. So, so that's uh, I, I tell you the first and the, the last, the middle, the middle one, is my death of my papa. When your dad passed away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it is. And we face those difficult things in life. Anyone else? Sarah and I just came through a, well, we finished a few months ago, but a year of uh, internship in Nicaragua. And uh, I'd say it was a difficult time for both of us. Um, the schedule, more than anything else, uh, nights away. And, and then um, often when I was home, it was almost too tired to function. But uh, different times throughout the year, we would sort of dialogue and evaluate and um, we're, we're almost always come to the conclusion that this is this is strengthening, even though it's not what we would have picked, but we can see that it's not actually hurting us and, and it's even strengthening for a relationship and we just praise the Lord for that. Excellent. Thank you. Well, oftentimes, like Delmar said, oftentimes when we go through difficult times, we we often ask, why? Why are we doing why is this happening? Why would God allow this to happen? And that, not, that may not be in every case, but why do some of these things come our way? Is it something that I did? Is it, is it because of the way that I'm living? You know, we've had some people to share. You know, Joe's sister was in a, in a bad wreck, and Darren talked about having a, a staph infection, and, and Wesley shared about his mom passing away. And when my dad passed away, that was a that was a hard time for for me, and yet we knew it was coming. And so we share these personal experiences, 
and we face personal experiences and we're going to have these down the road. We don't know what's coming our way and yet we, we know that there will probably be some difficult times that come our way. It could be an emotional difficulty. It could be a physical difficulty. It could be a family member that is killed or passes away or something like that. And we ask sometimes, why God? Why? Why would a holy, merciful God allow these things to come our way? When we are striving to be faithful to serve Him, why God? Why? We look at the world around us and some of the turmoil that we see, and we see children that suffer at the hands of evil men and women, and we say, why God? We see famine, we see warfare, we see so many things in, in this life, and I'm sure that, Sarah, you probably see stuff through nursing that we haven't had a clue. And we say, why God? Why does God, the Father, the Creator, the merciful God, allow these things to happen? And I think we need to recognize that the answers to these questions lie in the mind of God, in the plan and in the Word of God. And as we the created, we need to remember that, that we are the created. We don't tell God what to do because God created us. We are the created. <clears throat> and we need to come to the place where we see ourselves just as God sees us. And we are needy creatures. We have things that we need to deal with in life. When I think of troubling times, one of the first things I think about in Scripture is Job. So what do you think of when you think of Job? Anybody? What do you think of? Okay. The most righteous man that ever lived. Wise. Wisest man. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah. In spite of everything he faced. I would like you to turn with me, if you will, to Job. <clears throat> when we first discover him in the book here, Job, he is that person that we look at and think, this guy is blessed beyond measure. Whatever he touches turns to gold. Whatever he does prospers. If he falls into a mud hole, he comes out smelling like a rose. And we think about this and we're like, why God? But then as we read about Job, and then we see what happens to Job down, down further in the story, my, my viewpoint changes of Job. But as we read there in Job 1.1, 1, 1, it says there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters, and his substance, listen to this, this is 
pretty, pretty substantial. His substance was also 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. We were talking about wealth I'm not sure how it was mentioned. How was it mentioned when we were coming to town today, coming to church this morning? And Renee said, well, are we wealthy? And I said, we are rich beyond measure. And it's not just the money, because all of us are rich beyond measure financially compared to the rest of the world. And I shared that in a message a while ago. And she said, what is, what is wealthy? And Benjamin said, John D. Rockefeller said, when asked, he was, he was one of the wealthiest man, men in the world at that, at that time. He was asked, what more do you want? And you know what John D. Rockefeller said? And I hadn't recalled this until Benjamin mentioned it. He said, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. And so what was his focus in life? Just one more dollar. But this man that we're looking at here was a man that was not only wealthy in substance, but this man was wealthy spiritually. It says that he was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil, stayed away from evil. And it had a, he had a large family. He had seven sons and three daughters. As we look at Job here in this first couple of verses, and we look around us at people that prosper materially, we see the ease at which it comes to some. I think many of us get a little tinge of green, a little tinge of, in, of, of envy at how, why is it that they prosper so well so quickly? I wish that things would fall to us in the same way that it falls to them. But as we look at the context of this book and we look at Job and his character, Job was not just a man that was passive just to let things happen. He was proactive, even in petitioning for his children after they were grown and gone from his home. At least it seems like that his children were gone. In verse 4 it says, And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one with his, his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning And he was being proactive. It says, And he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus did Job proactively, continually. He petitioned for his children. Now this one day that they were there, I would assume, and again this is my assumption, that was probably their birthday, everyone his day, I don't know, they were having a birthday supper, it seemed to me. And they invited everyone to come in. Then the picture changes just a little bit. In verse 6, 
It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth he, doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side, that thou hast blessed the works of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land? But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Go ahead. You have my permission. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has, hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. As we look at those verses, one thing that we need to recognize is God's sovereignty. God being in control of everything. And I asked earlier on, why God? We are God's creatures. God created everything for His glory. He created the angels, the universe, and all of that thing. And yet they, even the angels must appear before God for His presence, for His permission. And as we view the fall of man, we see that God gave Adam free choice. Adam failed. He disobeyed God. He sinned. And now we have the curse of sin to deal with. Was it God's plan for Adam to fail? No. God wanted fellowship with a perfect being because He Himself is perfect. But He allowed and chose and created mankind to fellowship with Him, but to choose to fellowship with Him. And no matter how we view life, how we view eternity, how we view God, how we view Satan, or anything that happens, we have to come back to the fact of the sovereignty of a holy God, our Creator, that controls the world and the universe. Everything. In Isaiah 40, it says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, There is no searching of His understanding. He knows He created. He controls. And each one of us, in our intellectual mind, we can say, I don't believe God. We can say, God doesn't care. We can say all manner of things, but God is sovereign We are created and we are appointed this little bit of time in the whole of God's timeline. And yet we think that this moment that we live is important. We think that we are important. And really we are important but I don't think we are as important as we deem ourselves to be. But we are important because we are created in God's image 
for His purpose to glorify Him and to reach out to others to also experience the same thing. We need to recognize that Satan is a subordinate of God. The battle has already been won through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the empowering Holy Spirit that lives within us. And as we view God as Creator, as Sustainer, as Sovereign, and we view ourselves as part of that great plan, we can recognize that even though we face tough times in life, even though we face struggles in life, the battle is won and we just need to be faithful. The Bible says in the Old Testament that every knee will bow to the Lordship of Christ, to God. In Isaiah 45, verse 23, it says, I have sworn by myself the word is gone out from my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. And in Philippians 2, it's repeated. Philippians 2 verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And so for us as created beings before a mighty holy God, it is a simple choice that we make. And that choice is, will we bow now in humility in submission to a holy God, or will we be made to bow later? It's a simple choice. It's not human reasoning because our human reasoning is going to lead us away from God. It says in Romans 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. But because of a changed mind, of a renewed mind through Jesus Christ, we can be under God's headship. True or false, we create most of our troubles. True or false, we create most of our troubles. True. How many think it's true? How many think the troubles come our way just because of happenstance? Not very many. Sometimes calamities do come. Unexpected calamities. You know, Susie's car wreck. Joe had probably nothing. Did you have anything in that car wreck? Were you a part of that car wreck when, when Susie crashed? Okay. And so Joe being a part of the family and Susie crashing that car, that calamity came because of none effect of Joe. And yet, it affected him, his life, his family, his wife, and others that were involved. But most things do happen because of choices that we make. I'll give you for instance. If you don't put oil in your car, eventually your car will quit running. Right? We have a car like that. The car got low in oil. We didn't check the oil good enough and ran it too hard to the farm one day and 
If you don't weed your garden, you're probably not going to get very many um, vegetables from it. If you don't mow your grass, eventually your yard is going to turn into a jungle. But you know the same is true about godliness for each one of us. We need to be like Job and be proactive in some of, this, uh, some of these things. Job was a righteous man. Even in the face of terrible calamity, he remained faithful and proactive. Even though Satan used every tactic in the book to get to him, he remained faithful. He was proactive. And as we read here in Job, we only read a small portion, but Job had everything. He had wealth. He had faith. He had family. He had everything that we can imagine that we would, we would like to have. But one day, soon, and I don't know how long this was, but one day after Satan, soon after Satan appeared before God and got permission, Job lost everything. Chapter 1, verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now, I know that you all cherish your children. We cherish our children. Every one of them. And you know, we see where people have lost children. Whether it's before they're born, whether it's after they're born as infants, whether it's as teenagers, even as young adults. And we see that calamity and it touches our hearts. But Job lost everything. And he was the greatest man in the East. It said his substance physically and financially, was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses. And I'm telling you, that is a lot of money in that livestock right there. But he lost, not only that, he lost his crops and his children. Ten of them. Seven boys and three girls. Now, July 2 was kind of a memorial time for us. <clears throat> July 2 of 2007 was the first time that we ever 
went to Lake Mumal. We went, left on Monday morning. We went down there and set up our camper. Enjoyed the day. Enjoyed the evening. And the next morning we got up and there was a ranger that was walking through and he asked, are you Mr. Showalter? He was delivering a message that there had been a terrible family tragedy. And Paul and I were like, wow, now what? And I told, I told her, I said, honey, you need to call home. And she said, I don't want to make that call. So <clears throat> we went to the phone and I made the call. They said Mr. Rhodes had called and said that there was a family tragedy. <clears throat> we made that call and Paula's mom started telling us what happened at Scott and Phyllis's the evening before. And she named off not one, but two, three, four, five names. <clears throat> we were neighbors. We were cousins. Our children rode in the school van together. <clears throat> they played together. Franklin and Wyatt had been, <clears throat> excuse me, they had been to their farm on Friday and Saturday to help Amos milk. And we were, we were devastated by that phone call. <clears throat> and we say, why God? You know, we, we mourn that, uh, that loss. <clears throat> but we learn to cope. And through that calamity, we know that there were people that came to know Christ. And we just continue trusting in God. We need to remember that God is sovereign. And even though these young children, this young couple, and this young man were ushered into eternity at an, quote, undue time, we would say, God in His sovereignty meant it for a purpose. It was a tough time, not just for us. We were extended family. But think about the immediate family. Think about those two little girls We know that the old will die. <clears throat> but we also know that the young may die, sometimes die. But all of us are going to pass into an eternal realm and be in the presence of a holy God sometime or another. We can bow now in humility and repentance. Or we can be made to bow later and be separated from a God an eternal God forever and ever. But we look at Job, and what did he do? It said that he arose 
He tore his mantle. He rent his mantle. He shaved his head. He fell down upon the ground and he worshipped God. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Later on, not only did he lose his substance, his livestock, his buildings, his children, but he lost his health as well. In Job chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, In my sovereignty you have my permission. Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Calamity had come Job's way, and he had lost an immense amount of substance. But then he lost his health, and he sat down and scraped himself with a broken pot. Then, to add fuel to the fire, In verse 9 it says, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. He lost the support of his wife. Men, y'all know how important that is for each one of us. The support of our wives makes us the man that we are. And we need that to continue to build and make us into the men that we are. But Job's wife came to him and said, all of this stuff we have faced, all of this stuff you have faced, are you still faithful to this God? Do you think Job ever said, why God? What do you think his wife said? She suffered the same things he did. She suffered the loss of their their livestock. She suffered the loss of all their children. She suffered the loss of everything else that he faced as well. And it seems to me that she was the one that said, I can't deal with this anymore. Why don't you curse God and die? But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one that is foolish. I'm sorry. Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. But you know, through this, we see that Job went through a tough time. He lost his emotional health. He was depressed to the point where he wished he had never been born. He wished he were dead. In Job chapter 3, verse 1, it says, After this, opened Job his mouth and said, Cursed his... And Job... Let me start that again. After this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day wherein I was born and the night in which I was said, 
There is a man-child conceived. Cursed be that day. The loss of this man was by far larger than anything any of us have ever faced. And you may say, well, he hasn't faced the same things that I have faced. Yeah, that may be true. But the fact is that God has given us examples to help us see that no matter what we face, no matter what the test, no matter what the calamity, God has our best in mind for us physically, emotionally, eternally. He wants us to be able to be that restored, perfect being to fellowship with Him forever. And He created a way through Jesus Christ to help us get back in that perfect relationship. Not that we're going to be perfect in this body that we live in. There's no possible way on this side of eternity. But as we avail ourselves to the shed blood of Christ, as we come to Him in confession and repentance and humble ourselves and bow before a holy God, we can be back in a right relationship. We can back be back so that His grace makes us, and I say this carefully, His grace makes us perfect because were it not for the shed blood of Christ, we would all be doomed in eternity apart from God. But He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to continue to pass on that faithfulness to the generations that follow after. But we must have it to pass it. And how do we have it? We ask of God. In Matthew 7, it says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. We ask, why God? But God in His omniscience knows what we need to continue to refine and perfect us. To make us into that being. To make us into that tool. To make us into that vessel that is meet for His use. Do we know what's coming down the road? No. But we can anticipate that whatever comes, God is doing it for my good but not only for my good eternally, but for those that follow after. We just need to be like Job and look to God. In Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. May that be our portion. May we be faithful. And when calamity comes, when things troubling things come our way, we don't need to ask why God. We can say, thank You, Lord, for refining me into a tool for Your glory. 
Lord bless you.